Again, it is a privilege and a joy to be here with you tonight. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is so wonderful to be in your presence, to be with your people and to be studying your word. You know each and every one of us in this room and there is not a one of us in here but apart from your grace are worthy of anything but judgment. And yet you loved us enough to reach down in this world full of lost people and say, no, I love you too much. And you've forgiven us and you've saved us and you've given us the hope beyond understanding uh, an eternal life that is coming, a promise that we cannot even fathom with our minds or our hearts. And we thank you for that. We thank you for uh, the many blessings that you pour on our lives, the way that you protect us and watch over us, the way that you put breath in our nose and hope in our hearts. And so, Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask you to please be with us now in this time of study. Your word, your truth, your word is truth. And we seek to know you better. And we know that the only way to know you better is through your word. So, Father, you know the needs in this room, both spiritually and physically. And tonight we want to address those spiritual needs. I just pray that this lesson, that your truth, that your word will be proclaimed in such a way that it can uh, open our ears, our minds, our hearts, our lives uh, to the beauty of who you are and to the beauty of who we can be uh, as we're conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we ask for, Lord. We ask you to, to make us more like your son, to, to di- help us to die to self and help us to live for you. So be with us in this time of study. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, I, I prepared a lesson. I've been, I've been actually doing a, reading through some commentaries on some guys. So a lot of the stuff I give you tonight, um, pastors are very peculiar about plagiarism. And, uh, and so they don't like you copying it. For some reason, people don't like you copying the word God. If, if, if you're desperate enough to copy my work and share it with other people, please feel free to do so. Like, I don't, I don't care. But there are people that are funny about this. But this guy that I've been reading, one of his, uh, his work, the, his, the guy's name is William Perkins. He was a Puritan back in, the, in England back in the day, a long time ago, uh, back when the Catholics and the Protestants were still killing one another. But he was a Puritan, and I, I just got finished with his exposition of the book of uh, Job, the epistle to uh, Jude. I'm sorry, the epistle to Jude. And uh, now it's taken up with the first three chapters of Revelation. And as I was reading through it, I found some very important points of things for us to know about God's Word and about how we study God's Word and why we study God's Word. And uh, it, it just blessed my heart to come here tonight and sit down in the office. And, and uh, Jeremy said, well, we got some new folks. And so this is a very simple lesson. There's nothing complex at all about this. And I would, I would title this lesson, Basics for blessing basics for blessing that's the title of our lesson tonight so we're going to use one verse of scripture as a jumping off point and then we'll get into some more scriptures as we get through uh, the lesson so if you'll turn with me to the book of revelation that's revelation if anybody ever comes up here and sits at this desk and tells y'all it's the book of revelations y'all have my permission not to rebuke them but to kindly correct them it is the book of revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so often we use this book to look into it, to see prophecies of what's going to happen in the future. But the reality is it's about the past, the present, and the future. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And it's about him, of him, through him, and to him. And what you'll find is, as you read through the book of the Revelation, you'll find this storyline going through there that we are more than conquerors in Christ, that Jesus is the conqueror. And what you'll find is that there's this constant repeated circle of battles going on and fights going on, and it's a battle between God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the serpent, the dragon. And this fight has been going on since... God said, let there be light, and this fight will continue to go on until he steps down here and said, it is done, and we have judgment day, and the devil and his demons are cast in the eternal lake of fire. But so many people want to look at this book just simply as some kind of prophecy book. But what we need to remember is this. Prophecy is the uttered words of God, and it is more important that we see as God's message to man Prophecy is God's message to man so that he can know God, which is most important, know himself, and know his neighbor. So that he can know God, so that he can know himself, so that he can know his neighbor. And not only that, so that he can have an eternal relationship with God and have an eternal relationship with his brothers and sisters in Christ and to have a relationship uh, with the people that we have to live with every day in this world. And so as you read the Bible, all of the Bible is prophetic utterance. And so often we find preachers focusing on the book of Revelation as a prophetic book talking about the end time scenario. And that's all they ever talk about. There's nothing else to talk about in the Bible. And the reality is the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all one prophetic utterance of God's work. And God, who he is, that he is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God who created this world and allowed us to fall into sin and loved us so much that he sent his son to save us from it. And it's one big picture and one big story. And the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, revelation is just one revelation. It reveals us to who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And that's the deeper message. Because as long as I have a grasp of who Christ is and I receive him and believe him and know him, my future is set. I'm in his hands and I don't have to worry about who's taking over in Israel or who Iran and Iraq is and who Gog and Magog is. Right? I don't have to worry about those kind of things because I have a conquering king who has already conquered and stomped the serpent's head and he's just wriggling around dying right now. That's all he's doing. You see? And so what I do is I focus on the word of God the prophets, right? All of the people that wrote the scriptures that were inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we can know God and so that we can have a relationship with Him. And our focus is so much on what tomorrow is going to bring when in reality it should be about what He has done in eternity past, what He has done in, in the temporary world, this age in the past, what He's doing today, and what He's going to do tomorrow. It's all one big picture and the Bible teaches us that. But we have to know his word in order to know him and to know ourselves and to know what it takes to have a relationship with him. And what you're going to find is, is that as you stay here in this, this facility and as you're taking, what, five hours a day of Bible study, you're going to find days when the teacher is going to be standing there talking. He's going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. And then none of it's going to make sense to you. You're not going to care. You're going to be asleep in the back of the room. You're going to be dozing off thinking about your family, the bills that's over the top of your head, uh, your kids, or, or uh, you know, what I'm going to have for lunch. 
But uh, oftentimes in our flesh, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And you're going to find that without staying in his word and without studying his word and without growing in his word, it's not going to profit you anything. And so I want you to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and look what this says. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now that was written when? Like 98-ish. All right? And John, the apostle that wrote, I said the time is near. Well, how many years have we had since then? About two thousand, almost 2,000 years. And the time is still near. Because from God's eternal perspective, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. We are to live every day with the reality that eternity is imminent. I have the heavy burden of preaching a funeral service tomorrow night or Thursday night of a member of my church. I've barely got to know the, the people in my church. I've only been there since October, and I've never met this lady's husband. But I got a text from the family last Saturday and said, my husband has had a massive heart attack and it don't look good. And two hours later, I got a text that said he's dead. And it happened that fast, and it was completely unexpected. But your last breath is just one breath away. And we need to learn to live in that imminence and that reality that... This temporary life that you have is a gift from God. But it's only a breath compared to the eternity that's coming. And we need to know the things of God. We need to receive the things of God, believe the things of God, and live with that eternal perspective in mind. And as long as we can keep our eyes on Jesus and the one that holds our future, the one that that brought about our present, and the one who is in charge of the past, present, and future... As long as we can know Him and walk with Him and be in Him, we can have hope and peace and joy in this world we live in. And not only that, we don't take advantage of the gracious gifts that He's given us. We don't live complacent. We don't live uh, trampling underfoot the blood that was shed to save us. And so often, fallen man, that's exactly what he's doing. And so we need to know these things. But look what it said. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Now, A lot of people think that that is just talking about the book of the Revelation, that you will be blessed if you read and take the heart and understand what is written in this book. Like, if you're going to be blessed, you will be. Well, you certainly will be. But the prophecy, again, what did I say prophecy is? The utterances of who? God. And a prophet is someone who speaks for God. And there are no new revelations today. I am not a prophet. I am a pastor or a preacher. And I am commanded to utter prophecy but it's not of my own making it's thus saith the Lord as it is written and that's what I'm to teach and I'm sorry if it offends anybody in this room but if somebody comes to you and says I have a prophecy for you I have a word for you from God and they begin to speak to you something about what's going to happen in your future you, you can kindly say chapter and verse please Because when a person comes to you and says, I have a word for you from God, and it's not from the scriptures, what they are claiming is divine inspiration. They are telling you that they are speaking for God. 
And the first person that did that was, yeah, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference of good and evil. And you're going to be just like him. I have a word for you from God, Eve. You're not going to die. And he put words in God's mouth that God never said. And so we need to be very careful that the things that come out of this pulpit up here are from the word of God and not from the emotions and minds of men and women. You see how that works? And we need to know these things, these prophecies. And what happens when we know them? We are blessed when we hear it and what? Take it to heart. All right? Hear it and take it to heart what is written because the time is near. So there's two things that we're to do there. One, we are to hear. And two, we are to take it to heart. There's a lot of things that you hear that you don't take to heart. If any of you ladies in here have ever tried to talk to your husband or your boyfriend while he's watching TV, he hears you. But he's not taking it to heart. You see? And we have people tell us all the time, hey, man, you don't need to be doing that anymore. It's going to hurt you. And we hear it, but we don't take it to heart. Taking it to heart means you receive it and you believe it and you walk in it. That's what it means to take it to heart. In John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, uh, verse... 9, 10 is somewhere, John 1, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. It says this. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all of those who did receive him, to all of those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So what happened? They received him. What did they receive? His truth that he was sharing with them. They received it. They believed it. They took it to heart. And so when you hear it and you take it to heart, the next thing that takes place is it takes over your life. Because out of the mouth flows the issues of the heart. Who you are on the inside is who you are on the outside. And you can cover it up with makeup and deodorant, but eventually the real you is going to come out. All right? And so if Christ is in you, he's got to come out. We are to hear it and to take it to heart what is written because the time is near. Now, I want to start by this first topic. There is a right manner and way of hearing the Scriptures. There is a right manner and way of hearing the Scriptures. Why do we read and hear the Scriptures? What's the point? Why do I read the Bible? Truth. Yeah, it's the truth. That we may attain a true happiness... Standing in fellowship with God and life everlasting. This end must be the motive to induce us to hear and to read the Word of God. It should be about true happiness, about standing and walking in fellowship with God and life everlasting. It should be about, why should I hear the Word of God? Because the Word of God is what teaches me to love God with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. And if my heart is right and my heart is pure and I'm receiving those words, then it's going to come back out of my life in action. And as I walk with him, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scorner. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. You see how that works? He's blessed. He's happy. He's in fellowship with God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy forever. That's why you were created. 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you were created. And as you hear His Word, receive His Word, and walk in His Word, you are glorifying Him and enjoying Him. You find the fulfillment and the peace and the that thing that I've been chasing all of my life. And it's not something that's temporary and it's taken away. It's an eternal joy. It's a peace that passes all understanding. So why do we study His Word uh, for happiness, for right standing with God, and for everlasting life? And this must be our motive to induce us to hear and read the Word of God. When this takes place in our hearts, when that happens, when we read it the right way and for the right purposes, it will be a force to make us hear and read and hear and care with a conscience. When I realize that this is why I'm sitting in this Bible study, God pulled you out of a broken and busted life and set you in this room. And it may be boring and the people in this place may get on your nerves and they may smell and they may talk funny and they may, they may not get along with you. But God has you in that chair. You are in his hand of providence and he has you there so that you can hear his truth. And your motives have to be right because if they're not right, you won't hear it. You won't receive it. Right? I promise you next month in 30 days when I come back here, if I were to ask somebody in the room, hey, what did I talk about last time I was here? Probably one out of 20 would be able to say, oh, yeah, I remember you talked about this. Right? Now, I'm not pointing my fingers at you and blaming you because if you asked me what somebody taught me a couple weeks ago, I would do the same thing. But the reality is you're getting all of this information, but you're only retaining some of it. But we and you have the responsibility to have your conscience and your motives in the right place when you hear. Why is it? Because I know that through the hearing, receiving, and walking in God's Word that I find happiness I find peace with God, I find peace with my neighbor, and I find peace in myself. And that's why you should be here listening to these things. We must keep in mind certain things when we read or hear. This is a weighty duty and seriously commends us to God. We must keep in mind the things we read or hear. What do I mean when I say we must keep them in mind? Right? How many steps outside of that door after this class is over is your mind on donuts? Or a cigarette? You see? Our mind is on fleshly things. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. But our minds are constantly running them up. And we need to make sure that we stay focused. We need to make sure that our minds are prepared. And it's a heavy, it's a duty. It's a discipline. I can't tell you the number of churches now that I go to and I sit down and they have like a 20-minute sermon. When I was a kid, back in the 70s, my granddad preached until like, he'd start at 10 and we get done like 12, 12.30. And you sat there and you listen. If you didn't, your mom would pull your ear. Right? And not only, but So what happened? I was disciplined to sit there for two hours and listen to a preacher preach. It wasn't always fun, and I didn't listen all the time. Sometimes I was drawing in my, my bulletin, you know, and not paying attention. But the reality, I, I was disciplined to it. And you know what's funny is you can sit down and watch a three-hour movie on the TV if it's Lord of the Rings or something you really like. You can watch it for three hours and not even get up to go pee. And not even think that how quick the time's passed by. And yet you go in and sit down and try to listen to a 20 or 30-minute sermon, and you're ready and bouncing. 
ready to get out of there and get get back to what you were doing. You see? Because it's a duty and it's a heavy duty. It's a discipline that we need to to, to uh, practice. Um, Isaiah eight sixteen says, "Bind up the testimony, seal up the law among my disciples. Bind it on your heart, or bind it on your fingers." That's what Proverbs seven says. Take my words and bind them on your fingers, and write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, what do you do when you bind something on your finger? Right? Uh, you mean to think of a wedding ring, and when you see a wedding ring on a young lady, what does it say? She belongs to somebody. Hands off, eyes off. She don't belong to you. I'm single, and sometimes if I look at a girl at, a, at the grocery store, that's the first place I look. There's no sense to go any further. She's got bling on her finger. She belongs to somebody. She's not mine. And how many people sit down at a table and put a hand over their ring? They don't want people to know that they belong to somebody, right, when they're trying to act the fool. <laughs> but think about that. God says, take his law and write and bind it on your uh, bind it on your finger and say, hey, I belong to God. I belong to him. Hands off. Devil, stay away. I'm his bride. He's my groom. And I don't cheat on him. Write it on the tablet of your heart. I can tell you that when you kick your pinky toe at eight, two o'clock in the morning, getting up to go to the bathroom, what is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. And I ask you, what is written on the tablet of your heart? What's coming out of your mouth when your emotions get stirred up? What's coming out of your mouth when people get on your nerve? What are you capping off in your mouth when people get on your nerve? Because that's really what's flowing out of your heart. And he says, write my words on your heart, bind them on your finger, let everybody know that you belong to him. Make sure that the things coming out of your mouth are edifying. It says, David said, thy word, y'all know this verse, Psalm uh, 119, what does it say? Thy word I have what? In my heart. I, thy sayings I have hid in my heart. That's what I put in my heart now. Right. You tell your girl, I love you with all of my heart, you got a problem. You better say, I love God with all of my heart, and God has given me the love to love you with. Amen. You see how that works? I can tell you, if if people know what's going on inside of your heart, and you tell them, I love you with all my heart, that's not a very big compliment. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked. Who knows? Right? That's Jeremiah 79. So, this is not easy. (laughs) It's not easy to do this. Why is there so little profiting after much hearing and reading? Ever thought about that? How many people sit here for eight months, get five hours of Bible study a day for eight months, and then walk out of here and relapse six or ten days later? Sometimes right away. Right. Well, I could I could definitely speak for like I could say everybody ain't you know everybody ain't. Everybody is themselves. So, I mean, you got to speak for yourself. Everybody is himself. Yeah. No truer words have been spoken tonight. Yeah, yeah everybody is himself. And we're all accountable for ourselves, are we not? But this is a heavy task. And what happens, so what the point I'm making is this mm-hmm. it requires discipline on your end right. to receive what is being taught, to, be, to receive his truth, to be, receive his words, and to maintain it. Right. It requires discipline. It requires. Not only discipline, but it requires a spirit-regenerated heart, doesn't it? 
And it requires the Holy Spirit. Like it's God's work too. God is working in me. That which needs to work out of me. And so I need to rely on him to help me. All right. With that said. Another thing that we need to do as we study God's word. And some of the basics for blessing is this. We need to grab the back. We need to grasp. The simple basics of Scripture. I just, I just noticed over here on y'all's wall, and I, my compliments to whoever's buying the books. Y'all are doing an amazing job. Like they are starting to fill this library with some literally, like, really good sound theology. But over in that corner, there's four little books there. They're green books. They're called Spurgeon Sermons, uh, and and there's way more than that. There's like three bookshelves full. If you really wanted to read all the sermons, I have it. But I can remember as a young Christian picking up that book and trying to read one of his sermons. And they are hard to understand. You know why they're hard to understand? Because he's constantly using allusions to people and stories in the Bible that I didn't know. How many of you have been sitting here in a class and some teacher's teaching and he's talking about a bunch of stuff? You don't even you have no clue to what he's talking about. Right? Why? Well, because as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the word, and we need milk before we can go to meat. And there's a lot of people out there choking on meat, and they're not profiting from it at all because they need milk. So what am I saying? I'm saying we need the basics. All right. So I brought I brought an example of one of the things I do in our bulletin at our church every week um, is I put this is called the Baptist Catechism. And you see, that's a Baptist catechism. Now, if you're a Roman Catholic, there's a Roman Catholic catechism. Everybody has catechism. A catechism is simply a summary of principles of Christian religion in the form of question and answers. And they're designed, so this book, this catechism is designed to use with your kids in your nightly worship. So you would open it up and you would read a catechism question and then your kids would answer it back to you. And there's always scriptural references at the bottom of it. And they're all basic questions. So let me give you a couple of examples of that. Number one, this is question number four in the Baptist Catechism. What is the Word of God? So you would ask the, the person you're catechizing that question. What is the Word of God? The answer is the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament being given by divine inspiration are the Word of God. They are the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Now, that's a very simple statement, isn't it? What is the Word of God? It's the Scriptures of the Old New Testament being given by divine inspiration. They're the Word of God, and they're the only infallible rule of faith and practice. You see how that works? It's a really simple question or a really simple statement, and then there's 2 Peter 1.21, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, and Isaiah 8.20. It's, it's, it's three verses that you can go to to see that that's what God's Word is. Well, why do I say that? Because there's a lot of people you say the Word of God and they simply don't know what you're talking about. Well, what is the Word of God? I mean, is my, is, uh, my daily devotional, is that the Word of God? Is my journal the Word of God? Is the hymn book at church the Word of God? You, you see? But for basics, who knows? And you learn these basic things. You learn the basic stories. Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve. And you learn all of these basic stories. And then as you grow, you get into the more complex stories. I want to do one more catechism question to show you basic. So, let's see. Jerry, I know your name good. And I know your face good. So, I'm going to ask you. Uh, there's 150 catechism questions. Can you give me just a number between 1 and 150? 
right, Catechism question number 33. So maybe it's the February the 2nd, you do one catechism a night, that would be like February 2nd would be the 33rd day. So you're with your kids and you would say, how does the Spirit apply to us redemption purchased by Christ? That's the question. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer that the, cat, the person you would say this. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us. That's the answer. The Holy Spirit works faith in you. That is how the Spirit applies redemption that was purchased by Christ for us. Christ purchased the redemption on the cross, and what does the Holy Spirit do? He works faith in you. It's a very simple question, but I could go in and talk about, well, who's the Spirit? Or what does the word redemption mean? You see, you're asking your kids. And these are little simple statements that, that most Christians just act like they know what you're talking about. And in reality, you're going over their head with it. Yeah. Right. So the, what is the point I'm making? I'm not saying you have to use the Baptist Catechism. What I'm saying is get to the basics. Like you don't have to be complicated. Uh, you can get you can go online and get this. There's PDF copies just for free online. I, I pay I paid like 99 cents for these. I just leave a bunch of them on the table at my church, just for people to pick up and have. Yes. Excuse me. Um, the next time you come, I know I think I, I think you know my name, Brother Ronnie Nichols. But um, can you give me one? <laughs> you want a Baptist catechism? Yeah. Can you bring some I'll try. Uh, let me give me a give me a week or so. Um, I, our church is actually praying about uh, like we don't do any local missions right now, and I'm trying to get them to start supporting some local missions. And of course, I'm kind of biased, so you know who okay. I'm going to try to support. So that would probably be one of the things I would suggest. I would be like, hey, why don't we buy some Baptist catechisms for all of the the folks at 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 uh, mission? And you know, um, I was gonna we were actually going to start buying your case of Bibles, but it looks like somebody already slammed y'all full of those, so y'all look good on that. All right, the point being is we need the basics. But back to Spurgeon, I would read these stories, and he would be talking about Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and, and, and using all of these allusions to stories in the Old Testament. And it kind of made sense, but it didn't make sense. And it started aggravating me that I didn't know what he was talking about. Like, I'm a Christian. Why can't I understand what this man's saying? And what I realized is, is that my... My knowledge of the Old Testament and the history of Israel was simply basic. I just didn't know. So I could either sit there and act ignorant for the next 20 years and never learn to appreciate the beauty of what he was actually teaching, or I could swallow my pride, admit my ignorance, and get into the Word and find out what it really meant. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Don't sit around ignorant. Ask questions. What was that guy talking about? What is justification? See, that's a simple term, but most people can't tell you what it means. So the basics, they're so important. These basics are so important. So we get, need to keep in mind not only that there's a right manner and way of hearing the word, but that we need to keep in mind that we need to hear it and retain it. And we also need to realize that we need a basic grasp of the scriptures and what they teach. We will never understand the scriptures to our comfort nor keep the same in memory unless we have a foundation in the scope and the details of the biblical narrative. Let me say that again, and then we're going to look at a verse that we're going to turn to verse Scripture. We, who is we? That's me and you. We will never understand the Scriptures to our comfort, nor keep the same in our memory 
unless we have a foundation in the scope and the details of the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. How many of y'all have a favorite movie you've seen like a hundred times? Mm-hmm. You know the words before they come out. Why? You know all the characters, right? I tell you, I got friends that are in the comic book land, and they can tell you all the superpowers of every character every, from issue 65 from 1972. They can tell you what Superman did and who he was fighting, and they know all the details of all the fantasy, you know? They can tell you all the backstory and everything, all the intricacies of the of the narrative. Why? Because that's what's important. That's what they studied. And what we need to learn how to do is make the Bible our most important thing, the thing that we dig into and the thing that we know and the thing we're able to share and the thing that we delight in and the, and the thing that we can, we've seen a lot of times that we can repeat what it says. You see? And, and so the things of the world, it's easy to grasp those things. And easy, I mean, how, how long does it take you when a, a number one song hits the top of the chart for you to memorize all the words to it? Right? Not long at all. I, I shamefully tell you that when I was in 19, I think it was 1981, I was in the sixth or seventh grade and I had a record called The Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. It was the first rap song we ever come out. It's, I, think it's a, I think it's about 28 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. It's a full LP. And it didn't take me as a kid but about two days and I knew the words uh, that whole rap. And, and I'm, that was 50, almost 40 years ago and I can almost sing the whole song for you verbatim right now today. Why? Because that was important to me. Oh, I wanted all my friends to know that I could sing the whole song. And so w- what we what we enjoy, what we love, what we care about, what our interests are peaked in, boy, we'll d- delve into those things head first, won't we? And so I ask you, what are you doing with God's Word? What are you doing with it? Is it important to you? So, let me say that we will never understand the Scriptures to our comfort nor keep the same in memory unless we have a foundation in the scope and the details of the biblical narrative. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and I want to prove that point to you through what the Scriptures say. Hebrews chapter 5. In verse 11 and 12. Y'all there? It said, Concerning him we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see what he's saying? A lot of Christians have been going to church all of their life and have been hearing sermons and and been reading the Bible all of their life and they still don't know nothing. He said, by this time, you should be the one teaching the class and yet you're still needing to be taught. You should be chewing on meat and you're chewing on milk. Now, the reality is that I know that a lot of you in this room are very young in the faith and that's okay. But we need to grow. We need to. That needs to be one of our goals to to desire the sincere milk of God's word and to truly grow in what it means and what it what it is to us. So, Sunday school, personal Bible studies, commentaries, and study guides are all very helpful and very complementary to God's word. They're all good things. The catechisms, Sunday school. I mean, we a lot of people just focus on going to the worship service, right? I would say that I probably have about. 
one-tenth of the people in my Sunday school classes that we have in the, in the worship service. But Sunday school is important. And prayer meeting and Bible study at prayer meeting is important because that's when you get to discuss things and, and banner back and forth and talk about what it's saying and, and iron sharpens iron and you grow together. Those are important times. So we need to make sure that we have a grasp of the basics of Scripture. All right? Now, again, I want to remind you what has our topic been tonight. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who take it to heart what is written and also... Uh, uh, because the time is near. So, number four, this is four out of five things we're going to talk about tonight. We must not rush upon God's holy ordinance. But before we either come to hear or read with reverence, we must prepare ourselves. All right? Most people, at, when, when you take communion, most people, I would tell most people, if, if this is going to be communion Sunday at my church, spend some time Saturday night praying and asking God to reveal to you areas of your life where you're still falling short. Repent of those things and prepare your heart to come and to take the Lord's Supper. Right? There's not a single person that comes up there to take the Lord's Supper that's perfect. We're all sinners. That's one of the reasons we're coming up there. Because by coming up there, we're receiving what? The reality that God's body was broken for us and His blood was shed for us. And we have a, a hope, even though we're sinners, that God's body was broken for us and His blood covers our sins. And so the communion table is a living illustration of the gospel. So as you're coming down the aisle to receive the communion, the gospel is being preached to you in the, in the bread and the wine. And you should be taking time. Well, every time before we take communion, I fence the table and we take some time to prepare our hearts to come and take. And what I'm t- the reason I'm saying that is because communion is one of the ordinances. Communion is one of the means of grace that God has given to us so that we can know him. Well, so is the Word of God. So the communion is a living profession of the God, or a, a physical proclamation of the gospel. The scriptures are the very words of the proclamation. So in the same way that I should be preparing my heart to go, prepare my heart to go and take communion, in the same way I should be preparing my heart to come and read His Word. I can tell you this. Uh, this is no secret, and most of y'all probably, I hope that most of you would do this too. But generally, right before we start uh, praising and worship, or before I, uh, usually when I get out of my car to walk into the church in the morning time, I have a, a very routine, routine-ish prayer that I pray as I'm walking into the church. Lord, I pray that you will shod my feet with the preparation of your gospel, gird my loins with your truth, put on me the belt of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of your spirit. And I pray that you will let me go today and love these people as you've loved me. And that's one of the things I had. I actually prayed something very similar to that before we started praising and worship tonight. Like, that's a prayer. I prep my heart to do what he's called me to do. And so what we should do is, before you sit down for these uh, for the, the devos, is prepare your heart. Right? Don't be hitting your neighbor or talking about what you're gonna, what kind of donuts they got in there on the table, or, or how many more days you got before you get out of here. Like, prepare your heart to hear God's word. Get yourself right. Turn to Him and trust Him. So most prepare themselves for the Lord's table, and they ought to do so. Uh, but we should also prepare our hearts to hear God's word. We must put out our hearts. We must put out of our hearts all by thoughts. All delights and cares of worldly affairs and set our hearts to seek the law of the Lord. I bet you there's somebody in this room right now that's thinking about what their friends are doing at home right now. 
I, I know that I've sat in a class just like this before and been thinking about what, what somebody else is doing or, you know, what I'm, what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I got, I got planned. So we need to clear our minds and our heads of, and our hearts of all of these worldly thoughts, all of these delights and cares of worldly affairs because they really are not, they're just temporary. You look forward to a day coming up, like, I don't know, a birthday or maybe, a, you know, I, I don't know what you would look forward to, maybe the Super Bowl Sunday or something. I don't know what you look forward to, but you build up and you get all the excitement and you get all prepared, get, get some new clothes to wear at that event, and you get all it all planned out, laid out, and then boom, it's gone. And then it's on to the next thing. That's what we're going to do next week. And all of these things are so temporary. And yet the eternal things of God, we don't prep ourselves for them, do we? How many people still get up the night before, get out the night before and put up their clothes they're going to wear to church the next day? Right? No, you just get up and throw on some jeans and some shoes and go. Right? We, we, we don't prepare ourselves like we should. So Christ is the only daughter of the heart by His Spirit with whose inward teaching we can, without His teaching we never learn salvation. So another thing we need to understand is, yes, we need to prepare our hearts, but we need to lean on Him to prepare our hearts. We need to lean on His Holy Spirit and His power to give us the passion and desire that we need. Because in our own will, we will never do it. We have to trust Him. So, that's the fourth thing. We don't rush into the Holy Ordinance of studying God's Word. Don't rush into it. Have your heart prepared. And the fifth point that we want to see is when we are about His Holy Exercise of God's Word, the frame of our heart should be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. As I'm studying His Word, as I'm hearing people teach His Word, as I'm growing in my knowledge of His Word, my heart should be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and not the works of the flesh. I've prepared my heart, and what should it be filled with? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Right? Not anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, drunken, sedition, and carousing. Like Those are things that shouldn't be a part of it. So, our heart... And that's the heart of the matter, isn't it? Where is my heart as I study God's Word? Number one, the heart should be humble. James says that the Lord resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. My heart should be humble. Um, Them that are meek, He will guide in judgment and He will teach the humble in His way. That's Psalms 25.9. So a proud heart is so stuffed with self-love, self-righteousness, self-will, and self-sufficiency that there's no room in it for the Word of God to lodge. But the heart that is lowly through the consciousness of sin is a heart which the Lord's grace is ready to work on and already working on. Think about the times that you've been closest to God in your life. It's when you've been on your face. It's when you've been at the most embarrassing moments of your life. It's been when all of your pride has been flushed out, all of your self-sufficiency, all of your self-righteousness, all your self-will has been poured out all over the place, and you have nothing to offer. And it's at those times that we're closest to God. And the reason is, is because my heart is in a position now to receive His Word. I'm humble. An honest heart. I, I need an honest heart. Uh... I need to recognize sin that's still present in my life. I need to confess it to Him. I need to be resolved to please God in the ways of His commandments. I need to be honest about my walk with Him. 
as I'm praying to him, I need to be honest. You can sh- uh, juck and, uh, shuck and jive and juck and jive your neighbors and your friends. You know how to manipulate your parents, your husbands, your wives, your kids. Every, you know how to manipulate everybody around you to get what you want. Addicts are very good at that, by the way. Right? We know how to manipulate folks. But you will not manipulate God. He knows your heart. He knows where you stand. And, and you can't lie and be self-deceived when you're praying to him. You need to be honest with him as you pray. So a humble heart and honest heart. We must have a believing heart. The Jews heard the word of God, but it didn't profit them because it was not mingled with faith. The two must be mingled together. Faith and word. Then it will be a word of power and life and salvation. God always works through His Word and through His Spirit, and it's through faith and the Word that we know salvation and we know all with Him. So not only do we need a humble heart, not only do we need an honest heart, not only do we need a believing heart, uh, but we need a hearing heart. Our our hearts need to be uh, pliable, moldable. God's Word needs to be able to mold it and shape it into what it's supposed to be. So... Um, we have just a few minutes left. I want to quickly run through a parable with you talking about the heart. And then I want to finish up with one last statement by Jesus Christ. So turn with me really quickly to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm just going to read it to you. There's not, we don't have a whole lot of time about it. Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, it says this. Matthew, that ain't going to do me any good. Mark 1, uh, Mark uh, 4. It says this, Jesus began to teach again by the sea. There was a large crowd. He got it. I'm going to, pair, I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to skip over stuff just so we can get the text. He got into a boat in the sea and sat down and was talking to the whole crowd. He was teaching them in parables. And he said, listen to this. The sower went out to sow, and as it happened that he was sowing, some of the seeds fell by the road, and the birds came by and ate it, and other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, because it did ha- but it did not have no depth of soil, and after the sun rose, it was scorched, and because it had no roots, it withered away. The other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked, and then yielded no crop, and then the other seeds fell into the good soil, and they grew up and increased and were yielding a crop that produced some 30, 60, and 100 times as much. He was saying, he who has a what? Ear, let him hear. If God has given you ears, then listen. Hear what he's saying. And when he was alone, his disciples asked him about it. So he said, you have been given the mysteries. And then in verse 13, he's going to go on and explain to them what the parable meant. He said, do you not understand this parable? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who, beside the road uh, where the uh, where the word is sown, when they hear it immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, the ones being on the rocky places, those who hear the word immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, and when the affliction and the persecution arise, they fall away. And then there are other being sown. Uh, others, verse 18. Others are those being sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness and the riches of the desires of anything else enters in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful or unprofitable. These are the ones, and those are the ones which were sown on the good soil. 
they hear the word and accept it and are bearing fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 times. So he explains the, the, the parable. So what he said is there's a sower that's going along and he's sowing seeds. And the sower is the preacher or the teacher. And what is he sowing? He's sowing seeds. What are the seeds? The word of God. And these seeds land in the soil. Well, we need to understand for our lesson tonight that the soil is the human heart. So as these words come out of this pulpit tonight, they land on your heart. And depending on what type of heart you have will result in whatever it produces. So if my heart is hard like the road... The seeds are going to land on the outside and not get in, and the devil's going to come and seal it away, and it's never going to have any impact on me. If it lands in the rocky soil, right? Oh, I'm going to get really excited. Oh, I love that. And you're going to run up after class and ask me 50 questions about it. And you oh, I'm so excited. And then two hours later, you'll be forgot all about what it was. Rocky soil. Thorny soil is the type of soil where it lands that starts to grow but the cares and the concerns of this world come in and choke it out. Anxiety. Anxiety is unbelief, by the way. You do realize that, right? Anxiety is caused by not trusting God. Right? Now, if you're not living for God and not walking with Him, you have all the right in the world to be anxious because His wrath and condemnation hangs over your head. That anxiety may be a gift from God to get you to repent and turn back to Him. All right, so... The last type of soil was the fruit, uh, the soft soil, the fertile soil. And what happens when the seeds land there? It grew. It grew. And what happens? Some 30, some 60, some 100 times much. All right, we got just a couple minutes left. Let me tell you a little story. I, I have a, a, a friend of mine. His dad is, uh, he, he, he's just been diagnosed actually with, with uh, some dementia. And he's starting to struggle with dementia now. He's in his late 80s. But all of our lives, when we were teenage boys, he used to come around in an old Chevy stepside pickup truck and pick up all the boys in our neighborhood and carry us to Portland First Baptist Church for RAs. It's, a, just a, it's like Boy Scouts for church. And we would all go there, and there was a bunch of kids. We, he'd always cook some hot dogs for us on an open fire. We'd play basketball or kickball or baseball or whatever, and then we'd go in and he'd give us, we'd get a Bible lesson. But for years and years, all of our teenage years, from like 13 to 17 this year or so, he would come around our neighborhood and pick up all the boys in that neighborhood and bring us in. Some of them didn't believe. Some of them were, you know, little heathens. But he'd pick us all up. I was one of them. He'd pick us all up in the truck and take us all to church. And we'd play and kick each other in the shins and act like boys. Then he would bring us into this room and he would sit us down and we would all say this. As a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. To have Christ-like concern for all people. To work with others and to share in Christ. And to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. Now, I was, that's been almost 40 years ago and I can still quote that because we said it as our motto every week right and then he would teach us a Bible lesson we'd learn a Bible lesson and I want you to know that five of those boys the rascal boys that he used to pick up one of them being his son and one of them being me one of his son's best friends uh, five of those kids that he picked up are all now preachers Wow. now it took almost 40 years from uh, 30 years for the work to take place in my life his son actually went straight into ministry right out of college, you see. And so, but what's the point I'm making? This man spent all of those years sowing those seeds, not knowing where they were going to land. It was up to God where they landed. But some of them landed on fertile soil, and now what happens? Now, one day, 
he gets credit for the fruit of all of that seed sowing. And not only that, he was saved by Billy Graham ministry back in the 60s or 50s. He heard Billy Graham preach on TV. And so now Billy Graham's going to get credit for sharing the gospel and him hearing it and get saved. Now, all this is God's work, but he uses men to do that. And you see how that works? Those seeds, his, he was sitting on the TV one night then back in the 50s and on a black and white TV and heard Billy Graham throwing seeds out. And they landed on a heart that was prepared. And it brought forth fruit. And now all of the people that have been saved under these five young men who've gone out from that ministry are, are all sowing and, and making fruit. Now, so what's the point? The point is we hear God's word, we receive God's word, and we walk in God's word. Last verse, and then we're done, I promise. Luke 11, verses 27 and 28. This is the last verse. This is um, Jesus. Luke chapter 11. I don't want to offend any Catholics in the room, but Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28 says this. Now it happened that while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast on which you nursed. But Jesus said, Oh no. On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see what Jesus is saying? The blessed one is the one that hears the word of God and keeps it. We receive it, we believe it, and we walk in it. Now, back to the first verse, Revelation 1-3. Who's writing Revelation 1-3? John. John, good. John, the apostle John, right? So John wrote this, and John is one of Jesus' disciples. Where do you think John might have heard, blessed is the one that... Here's this word, takes it to heart. He probably heard it from his Lord and Savior, didn't he? And he's reminding us of that very truth. We hear his word, we receive his word, and we walk in that word. Again, there's a right way to hear it. We need to keep in mind that we need to read and hear God's word. It's a heavy duty. It's a discipline. That's what we do if we're his disciples. We're disciplined to it. We need to grasp the basics. We need to make sure that we don't just rush into it. We need to prepare ourselves to hear it. And we need to exercise that word. And we need to ask God to work in our hearts so that we can do all of those things. Amen? Amen. So blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. Amen, amen. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Uh, these are your words. These are your seeds. And my prayer is that you will bless those that have heard it, that you will prepare our hearts to receive those seeds. And I pray that in the future, just as you have promised, that these words will not come back void, that they will do what they are intended to do. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen.